going to talk about, oh, let's, let's pray. Let's pray, eh? Let's start with a prayer. Father, we just thank you uh, for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for everything you started this morning. Thank you for the flow of your spirit that we're in. We thank you that you are working in our hearts individually and corporately. And we just give you tonight, uh, I just ask that you would move in a mighty way, that you would shift us again, um, that you would take us to an intimate place with you and uh, you would reveal yourself to us afresh. Um, I just pray that your words would carry and anything of me would fall to the ground. And uh, we just invite you to have your way. You are Lord and you are King. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Yeah, so uh, I want us, we're in this Kingdom Life series, right? We're talking about what does it look like to live from heavenly places to earth. <laughs> and so uh, what I want to do this evening is to start setting a little bit of a theological background, a bit of a foundation for freedom. Freedom, okay? Everyone say freedom. Freedom! freedom. I was going to do my impression of Braveheart, but that would be inappropriate. Um, <clears throat> hey, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Isaiah 61.1 and Luke 4.18 both say this. Okay, Luke is repeating Isaiah. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is the Messiah. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, those who are downtrodden, those who are bruised, those who are crushed by tragedy. That's the amplified version. I like, who doesn't like the amplified version? Eh? Yeah, Branco, thanks for reading out of that, man. Um, this is such a powerful scripture. This is obviously what Jesus came to do and what Jesus did achieve. <laughs> uh, but it's also what we are called to. We're, we're called to set captives free, right? It's our mandate as believers to set captives free. My question is, though, how can we do that when we ourselves are not fully walking in the freedom that Jesus paid for? Well, like, what are we released from already? In that scripture, what are we released from already? It says we're re released, we're forgiven. So we're released from our debt, right? We're released from the burden of judgment associated with sin and death. That's what we are released from. He reconciled us to God through forgiveness eternally, right? And then it says, what are we free from exactly? What are we free from? And this is where I want to park tonight, okay? What are we free from? See, I reckon <clears throat> Scripture is pretty clear that it reveals that we are caught up in a battle, an epic battle between God and some sort of adversary. Adversary, yeah? Adversary. We'll say it like that. Uh, the, <laughs> that's the only way to say it. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, uh, say it again. Adversary. <laughs> okay, this is going to happen all night. Epic battle, right? <laughs> it, scripture talks about this battlefront on three different, well, in three different ways, three different battlefronts, right? The assault of worldliness, the temptations of our flesh, 
and the global spiritual war. Okay? The adversary, given the opportunity, would like to occupy all three battle, battlefronts. Okay? And if you are, uh, you are in any kind of war, um, the first strategy is always to know your adversary. All right? That would, I mean, even if I was going into, <clears throat> I don't know, a boxing round, right? If I was going to have uh, an opponent, I would want to know them well. You know, it used, to, it used to be said of Mike Tyson, he, he would say, you guys know Mike Tyson, the, the, the air nibbler? Uh, <laughs> he would say that he knew which round he could take someone down in. Like he, almost like predict, like oh, round nine, this guy's done for he knew them that well, his opponent that well. That, that, that was, he knew his strategy. And um, I don't know, the first strategy for us is obviously to know our adversary. What motivates them? Uh, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What do they presume about me or about us? So I'm going to start with who is our adversary. All right, you ready for this? <clears throat> so Satan in Greek means adversary. Those words, uh, that's where the word come from. Um, the name Lucifer is actually Latin, and it means morning star. It can be literally translated as light bringing, which is really interesting because thereafter it being mentioned is always associated in Scripture with having dominion in darkness, with darkness. Uh, if you read more on the origins of Satan or Lucifer, um, you could dive into Isaiah 14. Or Ezekiel 28, if you're taking notes, you can write those down. Um, not going to have time to go there. But other names include deceiver, tempter, the father of lies, and the accuser. The accuser and the adversary, they're both legal, like judicial terms, They, um, which I think is really significant. I don't know if we'll get there tonight, but I think that's really significant that they are legal terms. They're used in a courtroom. Uh, 2 Corinthians uses the word Belial, which is used to say that an entity embodies wickedness and is therefore worthless in the sense that they only ever take from others and perform evil. Also, the, the Bible uses the Greek name Apollyon, which is, it means to destroy, or in Hebrew, Abaddon, which means destruction. This guy is also mentioned in Revelation 9-11 as the angel of the bottomless pit and also the king, little k, of demons. So there's this character, there's this entity in Scripture and ultimately it says that pride and conceit overcame them to the degree that they wanted to usurp the throne of the one true king, Jesus Christ, and they wanted to, he, this person wanted to be like the Most High. They were once anointed and ordained as a guardian cherub by King Jesus himself. But they attempted a coup, a coup, a coup among the divine council, and they were cast down. It says they were cast down to, the term is eretes, which uh, is a term referred to not only of the realm of the dead, or Sheol, but also to earth. 
So they were cursed from aspiring to be like the most high. They were cursed to becoming the most low. Or nashash, which means serpent. So the, the, they were relegated to dominion only in a place of darkness and death or the underworld. Somehow, though, somehow, if you, if you read through Scripture, somehow there is this shift where they've risen to prominence on earth. And so you come to the New Testament times, and uh, this enemy is considered the primary authority of the rebellion against God and his people. 1 John 5.19 states that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So what enemy has a mandate, right? And in John 10, 10, it puts it this way. The mandate of the enemy, the adversary, is to rob, to kill, and to destroy. Right? Now, it's, uh, it's no mistake. Sorry. It would be a mistake. It would be a mistake to say that all spiritual conflict comes from the enemy. Because, uh, well, put it this way, we want to be wary of a culture that obsesses about the demonic realm, giving it uh, power by paranoia or fear, you know? Um, especially because especially Jesus, you know, throughout Scripture, Jesus was far more concerned about his Father's kingdom, right? He confronted, Jesus confronted the enemy, but he didn't give it much credence, but it's my observation that because of our avoidance, we've actually had a bit of a pendulum swing to the opposite direction, and we don't know the enemy at all. So essentially, the Western church, uh, majority, majority of the time, we're pretty oblivious to the spirit world, right? And yet, warfare doesn't go away if you're not ready for it. See, God and the enemy, they don't take holidays. They don't have public holidays or annual leave. <clears throat> this, this is a global war, and humanity is not only the prize, won or lost, but we are actually active uh, involved. We're active participants. We are involved in warfare. Ephesians puts it this way, Ephesians 6, 12. This is in the King James. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, temporal, physical people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So there is a war. There is a battle going on. And it's happening around us. It's happening within us. And every situation in your life is either a real fight or a battle simulation. It's training. And you have to learn the difference between your battleground and your training ground, your proving ground. And I think we do that by gaining skills and by gaining knowledge about how to fight this war that we're in. And it's, this is my personal conviction. Um, we've just been far too pussy for too long. We have been chicken. We have been, I don't know how else to say that, we've been a wuss. It, we've, we've, we've become, uh, and I'm talking like church, 
right? I'm not just talk, I'm not talking harmony. I'm talking church. I'm talking. We have we've become a bit happy clappy, uh, nabby pamby Christians who have fallen prey to forms, right? A form of godliness, a presentation, a show, a tell, uh, a show and tell performance of. Um, I don't know. Let's avoid what's really going on under the surface or behind the scenes, right? Sometimes that can look like triumphalism. Sometimes it can just look like encouragism. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we've actually lost real engagement, you know? And my question is, when you go home from this place, when, we, when we're not together collectively, when you're in silence, when you're in solitude, um, or with your family, or when you're at work, or uh, just in the dark hours of the night, are you living completely free? Because you'll know. When were you most desperate to be free from someone, from something? <laughs> when were you most desperate to be free from something? Can you remember that moment? Like, take yourself there right now. Is there anything? that you can recall, you can remember. Actually, at that moment, I remember that moment. I was so desperate, so desperate to be free. When that was, that was all I craved. That's all I yearned for was freedom. Even if you were just fighting yourself. Like, I, I can recall those moments in my life. <laughs> I'm not, not going to describe them. I'm not going to glorify them. But I can recall those moments in my life where I was just so desperate to be free from something. We need to be living from a place of perpetual desperation. Like, don't get me wrong, contentment in a loving relationship with Jesus, but yet an urgency to die to worldliness, to be consecrated from our flesh, and to deny the enemy any access, any ground, any rights. A desperation to see his kingdom come. To walk in godliness. See, I reckon the Holy Spirit has an unabashed enthusiasm for you. To see you succeed. He's, he's irrepressibly cheerful. He's all the time. Sometimes he wakes me in the night and just tells me jokes. Right? And we just lie there giggling together. Until I get a dig in the ribs. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you laughing? It's two in the morning. <clears throat> Uh, I was talking to a, a fairly prominent Christian last year about an experience that they had. They were down in Queenstown, right? And there was a group of eight guys that tried to steal their lunch, which I thought was quite bizarre because I didn't know how they were going to divvy that up. They are going to share this lunch with one person's lunch. But anyway, he chased them down. Eight guys attacked him in Queenstown, and he chased them to get his lunch back, right? And he didn't care how many black eyes he got. He just was hoping to land one on them. All right. I was kind of horrified at him telling me this story, but I was actually really impressed with his tenacity at the same time. I thought, gee, that guy's really keen for this sandwich, but also, like, I want him on my team, you know? If that's what he's going to do for a sandwich. The Holy Spirit, and I, I, I just think he's mongrel. <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit loves a good fight, right? He actually coined this phrase, fight the good fight. That was the Holy Spirit's language, fight the good fight. There's this acknowledgement that we're in a fight, 
and is good to fight, and a good fight is one that you don't lose. Yes? Yeah? I, you can all agree, eh? A good fight is one that you don't lose, right? So you have to learn to relish the fight. <clears throat> you have to want it because it's going to be there whether you like it or not. You're in a global battle. You're in warfare. <laughs> whether you like it or not, as well engage in a fight and learn to enjoy it. See, we are, we are raising up uh, an army of God, right? Not a blousy bunch of Sunday coffee club buddies. But fighting is good, okay? You told me not to say anything PC. Fighting is good. If, you, if I could say it in a PC way, it would be, as believers, we must hit a time where we overcome, Okay? As believers, we must get to a place in our lives where we are overcomers. Luke 10, 3 says this. This is Jesus, right? Jesus grinned at his disciples and said this. I don't actually know if he grinned, but I reckon he would have been grinning. He said, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Right? (laughs) I think that's crack up. It's like you're a defense, like what's the most defenseless little creature that you can think of other than like a caterpillar maybe? A lamb, yeah? And it's like, I'm sending you out as a lamb amongst wolves. <laughs> Isn't that just like our king, right? <laughs> I, um, I lived in the Caribbean, 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 um, for a wee while, and there was this, uh, I had nothing to do, I had no visa to work, so I could live there, and I, um, so I just ran, and I just prayed, I just had a lot of time to spend with the Lord, and I remember there was this volcano, active volcano, but it was jungle over it, and I was running, and it was by the equator, so it goes dark at five every day, right, and I was running up there, and I had a headlamp on, and as I, as I was running through this jungle, it was getting dark, my headlamp went out. I better start heading down um, this little jungle pathway. And so it's pitch black really quickly. And I'm running down, and my iPod at the time <clears throat> uh, <laughs> was on shuffle, right? And I had this scripture come up I send you out as a lamb among wolves. And then somebody was preaching, and it shuffled to them, and they said the exact same scripture. Right, And then it went to a third thing, and they said the exact same thing. They were like praying us or something. It was a different person. But it was three, three times within about five minutes run, running down in the dark. And I was like, man, you're trying to tell me something, and I'm dense, and I'm not picking it up. And as I got to the bush line, <laughs> and I just, I just exited the bush line, I'm running full pelt now because it's downhill. And, and I'm, I was fast and fit at the time. This is a while ago. Uh, and I, I just exit the bush line, and about five kind of rabid-looking dogs started chasing me. Like, like three on this side, two on this side, just came alongside. And I'm running, and these dogs are like, just barking at me. I got my headphones on, and I'm listening to worship music, full pelt. And I'm just like, man, this is an object lesson, God. I like, I know you're still speaking to me through this, right? And um, I'm a really fast lamb, 
and they want to eat lamb for dinner, right? <laughs> and so I just keep running, and eventually, one by one, they just slowly drop off. They just they stop their pursuit, and, uh, and then I run about a K, and then I get home. And I'm like, man, no idea what that was about, but that was exhilarating. Uh, but I just had this sense of like, I was, not, I was not afraid in the slightest. I had this sense of like, God was there overshadowing me. You know, it was like, if I was a lamb, and he was the lion, and he might not have been visibly there, but I was in his shadow, like I was overshadowed by, you're a lamb. And, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but you're a lamb sent out amongst wolves, but you go out knowing that your best friend is a lion, and you live in his shadow. Right? Psalms 9, oh, sorry, 91, Psalms 91 I wanted to read you from like the first 15 verses, but it'll take too long. Incredible passage. But this is an amazing passage. Again, write this down and read it over yourself. This is an incredible passage. It says, He who dwells in the secret place, right? The secret place. Of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. If I dwell in that secret place with Him, in that place of intimacy, in the Holy of Holies, then he will overshadow me, the almighty God, as I abide in him. It says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. It goes on, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wing he sh you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Honestly, it goes on and on and on. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm so tempted to. But it's a beautiful passage about dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. And I believe that we've got ahead of time when we are not always just laid low. You know, not always on the defensive, struggling from one trauma to the next. Get, getting beyond the place where our lifestyle causes us to be exposed to enemy attack, enemy activity. Because, you know, like, flies are attracted to rotting flesh. I just got some beef jerky down there. Uh, <laughs> object lesson. Um, flies are attracted to rotting flesh, right? And our carnality gives the enemy the audacity to come and to usurp your authority and the legal rights, if you will. Anyway, so a good fight is one that you win. Now, why does the enemy hate us so vehemently? Have you ever thought that? Why, why did the demonic want to be in human beings when a couple of swine will do or some idol? Genesis, I believe, establishes that all human beings on the planet are made in the image and likeness of God and that God gave dominion to humanity. Dominion over earth. Authority, essentially. So, so there are two reasons. Firstly, every time a demonic entity sees a human being, they see you as an enemy. You are the enemy because you are the living embodiment of the one that they rebelled against before the beginning of time. What did Lucifer want? He wanted to be in the place of God, to sit on God's throne to be worshipped. And God is enthroned on high in heavenly places. 
But where in the universe is the other place where God's enthroned? In our hearts. Yeah. The only other place in the universe where God is enthroned. Symbolically, he was enthroned on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, right? And then in the most holy place of the temple. And then Jesus incarnate, the Son of God, was the human temple, right? And he was enthroned in in Jesus Christ. But where is his throne now? Your heart, right? The dwelling place of the Most High. The King of Glory, the Spirit of Jesus, inhabits you. If you're a believer tonight, inhabits your human spirit. This is where you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And your heart is never just an empty throne room. It gives itself over to someone. There's always someone sitting on the throne. Someone is king. Right? That might be self. You might have put self as king of the throne of your heart. It might be an idol. You mentioned idolatry or adultery. Or it might it may be God. But if it isn't God, then who possesses the throne? That's the first reason. The second reason that the enemy is vehemently angry at you (laughs) is that the enemy usurped humanity uh, of their delegated authority or their dominion over earth and all that's within it. But that was restored through Jesus, right? The enemy would seek to have us live in such a way where we're ignorant of that truth, of the facts. If he can get you to believe that it's all an illusion, if he can get you to believe that you are less than who you are, that that you are less than what Jesus said that you are, that you are less than who Jesus has reestablished in your identity and inheritance as full heirs, as sons and daughters of the living God, then you live in ignorance of your rights and of your authority and of your responsibilities and your dominion, all of which he can occupy and wreak havoc in if you're ignorant. So here it is. The enemy can only be empowered to kill, steal, and destroy through our agreement with him. And often it's just our intellectual assent to a false belief about something, others, ourselves, God, or even our omission of truth. But Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, for us, regained, restored our rightful dominion and therefore our authority over the enemy. God is building for eternity. But the enemy is living for now because he knows that his days are numbered. Right? And so Satan could be removed from existence, just simply a word from God. But God, in in His eternal wisdom, has chosen to use the enemy as a bit of a chess piece on a chessboard, much like He did with Pharaoh or Judas. God allows in His wisdom what He could easily have prevented by His power. I feel like I I better wrap this up. Um, Well, I'm going to need someone up here to help me land it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is a part, like a three-part series, and um, 
at this stage, I'm going to invite you all to come back next Sunday morning. Um, but this is just setting the scene, right, for a spiritual battle that we are presently in. I want to ground you in some scripture to leave you with. Uh, this is these are I call these now but not yet scriptures. Right? Romans eight twenty eight says this. You'll know this well. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. A little bit later on, it says, "Moreover, whom He predestined, He also called, and whom He called, He also justified." And whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall, they when, what shall we then say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you are overshadowed by the lion, the king of Judah, the most almighty, who can be against you? You see, vindication is the Lord's. And he, he, restoration has already happened in Jesus. But it's working itself out, and it will ultimately be seen in full in eternity, but it's working itself out in you and I. And I'm so thankful, I am so grateful that there is a measure of victory that we can have in this lifetime. There is a measure of walking in the victory of Jesus that can be had in this that we far beyond that which we could earn, far beyond anything that we could do in and of our own strength. Because Jesus paid the price. He defeated sin and death. And He recovered all authority that was lost. In the, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus declares this. He says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them, them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He overshadows you. He is with you always. Jesus fulfilled his promise to the disciples. He, he gave back the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And now we now get to reclaim what was lost. We get to rule and reign as people being restored to His image. See, God's original purpose and intent for mankind was that they would rule over creation. Our rule over creation has been returned, and our focus is now on exposing and undoing the works of an enemy. Adam and Eve. <laughs> Do you know that Scripture says that they were without paneros, which is without evil or sin? It also says that they were without ponos, which is without pain or sickness. And that they were without, it's a hard word to say without saying a rude word, uh, but it means without poor or without poverty. And you and I, we are restored with an expectation of living without these things too. See, God's original purpose for us, and yet magnified by a better covenant.
that we would be blessed to be a blessing in this world. Why, why don't you stand with me? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for everything you have done. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. By my spirit, says the Lord. And we are wholeheartedly dependent on you. We place ourselves into you under the shadow of the Almighty that you would overshadow us, Lord God. And Lord, we just declare that you sit on the throne of our hearts. You might be with us tonight. You might not be able to say that. You might not be able to say that yet. Actually, Jesus, you sit on the throne of my heart because you haven't given your life to him. And if, if that's you tonight, if you, could, if you acknowledge that, you're like, actually, I haven't invited Jesus to, to take that preeminent position of king of me, king of my life. If that's you, I'd love you to just slip your hand up. If you want to invite Jesus to be king of your life, to sit on the throne of your heart. Just slip your hand up. I just love to pray with you, include you in a prayer tonight. Just why heads are bowed. Just give you a moment where the Holy Spirit is just wooing you and speaking to your heart, saying, Hey, son, daughter, it's time to come home. It's time, it's time to put me in my rightful place in your life. Maybe you need to rededicate. Maybe you've been in that position before, but you've actually walked away or you've, you've wandered from Him being the center of it all. But I'm going to invite every one of us to come and we're going to take communion while, while worship is happening. There's communion just over to your left up the front here. And as, as worship just washes over us and, and soaks us, come and take communion. And as you take communion, this is the blood of Jesus Christ, His body and His blood that was poured out for us. This is where the exchange, the great exchange happens. Where we regain our rightful position, our identity in Him, who He created us to be. So as you, as you take that cup, as you take that bread, I want you to think about it washing you of all impurity, <laughs> cleansing you of the past, setting you free tonight. It's freedom. He came to set us free. It's for freedom's sake that we would live free. And we want to be free tonight, Lord God. We want to have walk in freedom in every area of our lives.
So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, that as we take the communion, as we take these emblems, that you would flood our being, that you would cleanse us, and that you would empower us to walk free lives. If you need to do some business with God, if He wants to bring something to your mind, to your attention, a memory, anything, then allow Him to do that. Just sit with communion tonight. Sit with communion. We're not going to rush on. Sunday night, got nowhere else to be. Sit with communion. Sit with the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and allow Him to do a work in your heart. Something that only He can do. Yeah, Jesus, have your way.